Hey, welcome back to another round of the 730 interviews. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. Right now, hanging out with FU, the self-described Peruvian Bruce Lee, hailing from Queens County. FU just dropped the F word with producer Ridiculous. FU, man, thanks for joining us. Great to have you on tonight. Peace, man. What's up, man? What's up, world? It's a pleasure to be on here. So before we get started into the music, and I definitely want to get into the FU album, um, or the F word album, you have one of the best names in hip hop, man. That FU, especially <laughs> with the spelling. How did that come about? It's real funny, man. When I was, you know, before I started taking rap seriously, um, I was doing street teaming for uh, Rockers. I was like 18, you know what I mean? And we would freestyle and just bullshit in front of the office and battle other other, you know, uh, uh, crews or whatever. And I didn't really have a name, you know what I mean? But I would sign up to uh, local open mic events and just put like stupid names, just whatever dumb name I wanted to hear the announcer call, you know what I mean? Like I would write like Senator Dukakis, you know, just to hear the fucking announcer say it. And then one day I wrote F.U., and uh, it just so happens that uh, C. Ray's Walls was the host. And he called me up and he like stopped. He was like, yo, that name is so ill, bro. Blah, blah, blah. I started spitting and he came off stage and he was like in love with the name. So I'm like, I'm, I'm going to stick with it. You know what I mean? And C. Ray's isn't the type of dude to just give props to give props either. No, no, definitely. I, I know him a little more now and he's definitely not the type of dude to like be jumping all over something you know what i'm saying so if, if he tells you you think something is ill it's definitely ill what are the names did you come up with um you know at first i was uh, i was writing you know i used to write so i would write my tag which was emic e-m-i-c then um on the on the open mics i would write like like i said senator dukakis or you know, MC Doofus, just some something stupid. You know what I mean? It wasn't even thought out or anything. I was just being an idiot. Fu, I really wrote, but the way I spelt it is because I wanted it to have uh, the letter of my first name. My name's Enrique, so I wanted it to have the E in front of it. So that's why I spelt it out phonetically. Yeah, that's that's a good move, especially like it, it looks cool, man. Like seeing the name spelled out, like Y Y O O two, like it's. It's one of the more original names I've come across. I got to be honest, it's, it's caused some problems for me, man. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, for some reason, either they don't want to say F you or they just don't get it. And they'll be like, F yo, you know, if you. And I'm like, yo, son, you know what you know what the name is, man. The name is F you. Say it correctly. You know what I mean? But it has caused a little bit of headache sometimes. That's crazy. School really failed them if that's what they get from it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, like, to me, it was a no-brainer. I'm like, this is how you say it. This is how you... This is an even easier way. Like, if I was to write the letters F and U, then I could understand somebody saying foo. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. If I, spell it out for, if I spell it out phonetically, then it shouldn't be a problem, but it still is. That's crazy, Believe yeah. It or not. Even, I mean, anybody who's drinking a bottle of Yoohoo, I mean, should get this at this point. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. And what's been great to see about you, too, is with each album you release... You get a bigger following, but it seems still that you have this really like loyal cult following, especially in underground hip hop. Like that, you're you're well respected by the people who know you, but it, it just takes people getting to hear you to, to become a fan. Because with each release, it gets bigger for you. Do you feel like you have that cult following? That you have that loyal fan base that is growing right now? Yeah, definitely. Hold on, bro. I gotta cut you off, man. So I'm in the hood right now. Uh, can I get a, a small wonton soup and uh, an order of uh, crab rangoon? to go all right all right you want to pay right now all right yeah 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 i had to cut you off because i gotta order my uh my regular chinese food order <laughs> you, you know i would never but get yeah. in the way of that man yeah um no nah, definitely man i definitely have i definitely have people who fuck with me and um who stick around and they want to hear the next joint they want to hear the next joint and it's definitely been growing just every time I, I put something out, I build, I try to build as much as I can, do as many shows as I can, go further, go farther and, and hit different topics, try to do different things. Um, so I definitely feel the fan base growing, but I think it takes it takes people getting to know me to really become fans. You know what I'm saying? And when they hear interviews like this and, 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 and they hear the songs and they hear the lyrics and how I break it down. I think that's when they really become fans. 
and that's why I think it's, it's been growing. So what do you feel you have to do in 2017 to keep it growing and keep that momentum? Because getting it is one thing, but keeping it going is a, is a whole different ballgame right there. It's funny because off the air we were talking about this and it's like a few years ago, even 10 years ago, you would you would drop a release, you drop a, whether it's an album or maybe even a mixtape or an EP and you'd be good for a while. You'd be good for the whole year. And people will wait. You know, they'll wait and they'll wait with anticipation for the next one. But nowadays it seems like if you wait too long, people kind of start forgetting and then you don't have the same fan base as you did when you put the last one out. You know what I mean? So definitely this year, I'm trying to put out some more more consistent projects, uh, whether they be EPs. I got two EPs I'm trying to line up, one with um, with Curse, producer out of uh, Canada, and one with the homie Cole James Cash, and then probably a full length for the end of the year. Just to keep, you know, just to keep something on rotation all year. You know what I'm saying? That's awesome. Yeah, that, that's a lot to look forward to right there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it myself, man. The videos and the, putting the songs out. It's really fun. I feel like I'm growing with every release. So, you know, everything, every time I, I write something, I record it, it's fun again. It's never it's never boring and stale because, you know, I'm growing from the last one and I'm, I'm touching on new topics that, you know, compared to the last one. So it's, it's always fun. What do you think is facilitating that growth? Because for a lot of artists, you can go back to their mixtapes from 10 years ago and you could even argue maybe they're a better artist 10 years ago than they are now. So how do you push yourself to keep growing and keep improving? Because um, stagnating is something that we've seen far too many artists do and, and getting comfortable. So how, how do you prevent that? Well, I never ever like to make the same project twice. You know what I mean? If some people who go back to my first release in 2011, I put out a mixtape with Golden Child called uh, Legend of the Gnome Sword. And it was kind of mythical based you know what I mean? All the songs and, and the lyrics were kind of like Dungeons and Dragon-y type of thing. But then the next year I put out Bodega Businessman, which was like kind of kind of Donald Goins tales, you know, hood hood type of tales. Um, then I put out Papa Dios, which was 10 songs um, with 10 Bible verses, you know what I mean? 10 Bible stories. So I always try to put something different out, man. I never want to put the same thing out twice. You know what I mean? And like with this with uh, the F word, the F word was more of a mixture of who I am. You know what I mean? It was closer to who I really am rather than uh, a concept. So I always just try to make something different, man. So the same reason. I don't want to get bored. I don't want to put out three mixtapes in a year and they all sound like the same mixtape. Personally, when I hear an artist like that, I get bored. So that's why I try to change it up. And what I noticed on the F word was the balance that you had there between the storytelling, getting super lyrical, showing off your more humorous side you know was that a conscious decision on the effort to to show a balance of who you are yeah yeah i actually i wanted to do that to show the kind of person that i am because that's the way i am as a person you know i'm funny sometimes i can be funny and make jokes and crack jokes sometimes i can be a nerd and and you know read up on comic books and watch comic book movies sometimes i can get really really street and really fucking crazy you know what i mean so Sometimes I like to have fun and have, and have party, you know what I mean? So I wanted to make it closer to how my personality actually is. So that's what we focused on, on that. Every time Ridiculous would send me a beat, however I felt at the moment is the way I went with that particular song. You know what I mean? Right. And you touched on something that I feel is either super embraced almost to a fault by hip-hop artists which is showing who you are sometimes i feel like artists might even overdo it to the point where it's like way too personal or way too close and it you know like more information than anyone would ever want to know but yeah also, that's true and then there's other times man when it's like there's such a wall and so the artist has their guard up so so hard that you feel like you who is this person like how do you figure out, you know, and, and balance what you're going to give the fans and, and really show them who you are while still maintaining a little bit of your privacy and a little bit of that personal life? I mean, that that's another thing because um, Ridiculous was also telling me a couple of times, like, you know, hey, I want you to write something like really deep down from your heart, you know, about a personal, you know, get really deep. And I'm like, look, some, some things are so fantastical that even if I told you, you wouldn't believe them. And I would sound like I was fucking making it up anyway. So how about instead of getting into real detail, 
you know, I just kind of weave a story that may have happened, you know what I'm saying? Or, or close to what happened, but not exactly what happened. So that's how I try to keep it like, this This is what happened, but this is not exactly what happened. You know what I mean? So I maintain my own personal self in there, but I still keep my secrets. You get what I'm saying? Right. The effort title track, I, re- I really feel like that captured the entire essence of the album in terms of like what the album's going to be about and who you are. You know, what was it like putting that track together? Because I feel like that's a great track that really shows who F.U. is, as well as like what listeners are in for with the F word. You know, what's funny is that I started writing that track like years ago. You know what I mean? It's something that I wanted to do. I wanted to take the letters of my name and kind of fucking flip some shit around. And so I started it and then I didn't finish it. Picked it up a little bit later. And then when I heard the beat, when I heard that beat, I was like, oh, this is for this song. So I finished it in 2016, you know, where I might have started in like 2010. So that's how that came about. Very slowly, you know what I mean? Just little, Every time I thought of something that went with the letter, I would pop it in there. That's awesome. Do you find that you work better when you're not feeling that pressure and that, that rush to get things done? Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean... Um, like if, like I said again, if you go back to my first release, uh, Legend of the Gnome Swords, even though we had fun making it, I still felt pressured because I wanted to get it out. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was very anxious to get it out, so I, I wasn't taking my time. And you know, Golden Child was like, "Look, let's do this, let's do that," and I'm like, "Nah, nah, nah, fuck it, this is perfect, put it out." And I wish I hadn't done that. And now, you know, I can take my time, like I was telling you before with the Curse EP. Um, you know, I did, I, I wrote the whole album already. And I uh, recorded the first three tracks, but I've gone back and re-recorded one of the tracks like two, three times. I might re-record it again. You know what I mean? Then I'll, I'll go back and I'll do the other three tracks, listen to the album, maybe go back and re-record some other things or add some other things or, you know, hey, this this song is perfect for this person to be on. I might add them. And I'm glad I can actually do that now. I'm glad I have the knowledge to do that and the patience. I have a, I have my fan base. I have people who are waiting for what I'm going to put out. So I'm not too worried about making that first impression. You know what I mean? Right. And The Great Escape really highlighted your storytelling ability. How important is that to show that element of you as an MC? I mean, to me, I think it's 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 becoming a lost art. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's getting a resurgence nowadays with some of the MCs, but it was gone for a long time actually being able to tell a story and weave a tale and have people by the end of the song know what the hell you're talking about you know what i mean so it's 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 always been really important to me by a listener's standard you know by fan of hip-hop but then when i started actually taking the music seriously i wanted to make sure that i could still do that in every at least every release that i put out i want to have one or two stories that i put in you know what i mean being able to weave a tale because we're entertainers at the end of the day, you know what I mean? We got, we have to be able to, to put something together that's entertaining and not just words that rhyme or, a, a, you know, a nice flow, but you're not saying shit. Yeah, no, I, I definitely hear that. And you also mentioned race on The Great Escape, and um, I feel like that's something really important to talk about, especially in today's climate in the U.S. and just in hip-hop in general. But you mentioned how people sometimes think that you're white, um, is that does that happen to you in real life too, or was that something for the song, or is that something that happens to you in real life as well? Oh, that happens to me all the time, man. I mean, you know, for for the people who've never seen me or just hearing about me now, I was born in Peru. My parents were born in Peru. You know, my sister, my grandparents, my great grandparents, my whole family is. But I look, I, I, you know, I can look Italian. You know, I'm 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 tall. I'm white skinned you know what I mean? I have light color eyes, so I don't really look like I'm Peruvian. So my whole life, I've just kind of been, you know, the white kid in the hood having to tell people like, no, no, I'm Spanish. But it was never really a problem for me. You know what I mean? Because I, I was who I was. You know, people knew who I was regardless. I never had to like fight for it. But when you go, when you step outside your hood, you know what I mean? And you go to other hoods, it becomes the thing. You know what I mean? And then especially when you start rapping. When you start rapping and you start, you know, stepping into this world that, um, you know, started with, uh, you know, Puerto Rican and blacks in the hood. and They think you're appropriating something 
when you're just like, yo, this is who I am. You know what I mean? If you knew, you would know. So it's it's become more more of a race thing now. But you know, when you're growing up and you start spitting, you don't really realize that. You don't see it. You know, I grew up with my peoples, and my peoples never, you know, they never said anything like, you know, oh, you you know, you look like a white boy. Not never. It was when I stepped out of the hood that people would say that. Did when you were a kid and and facing that, did that ever, did that ever mess with your mind state and your identity at all? Like as a kid, yeah, sometimes. I mean, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it did, you know what I mean? Because, you know, other people, you know, they would step to you differently. I didn't I didn't learn to use it to my advantage until later on in life. You know what I mean? Later on in life, I'm like, oh, shit, I can use this to my advantage because I can go walk around acting like I don't know a lick of Spanish and see what these people are saying about me. Or, you know, if somebody over here is... is, is, is trying to act like you know my friends don't belong somewhere but i do because i look white i can go ahead and play it and pull their card you know what i mean i didn't learn to use it till i was older when i was younger it fucked my head a little bit like you know am i supposed to act a certain way because i look a certain way or what but then you learn to just you know just be yourself and that's I, what i did and that made I, me who i am and i can see being white as an mc working you know two different ways one like you said the appropriation piece and two those sometimes fans are so thirsty for like a great white mc like oh you're the next great white rapper that i can support the next great <laughs> you know you know what i mean like i see it on message boards i see it in comments and right right from from what i've seen if you're a white rapper the bar is basically automatically lowered for you and if you're halfway decent you're going to get a lot of props uh because so many like like am I way off base with that because that's what I see I mean have you felt that in terms of yourself and people dealing with your race as an artist I mean the only time I've I've, I've seen that with me is when people don't expect it you know what I mean like they see they see who I'm with they see my crew and then they see me step to the mic and they, they're not expecting what I'm gonna they're not expecting me to be ill you know what I mean so that's when I've that's when I felt it but I love that you know what I mean I love showing what I could do no matter no matter who I am you know what I'm saying as far as having the bar lowered for other white MCs I don't know I never really went that route you know what I mean to play what I look like into into what I spit so you know I was I never tried to be that great white hope so I didn't know if, if the bar was lowered or not Right. I just know I felt it when people when people didn't expect me to be ill because of how I look. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And I, I remember talking to artists like Jay Zone, who were just were so tired of fans asking, you know, what's your race, what's your ethnicity, who are your parents? And I mean, right, right. Just you know, my students, the cashier at the at the register last night at the grocery store saw me and my wife and my kids, and she was like, "You have no idea how many people ask me." what ethnicity I am and it, it would, it's it's crazy though how obsessed people can be with race and how and how many judgments and you know preconceived notions exist based on like who people think you might be I mean at the end of the day I think it's built into into our society man it's, it's deeply rooted into our society I see it changing a little bit now but it, it, it's gonna take a very long time you know what I mean for that to go away very long time for sure and one thing I love, man, switching switching gears here, you know, with the with the F word, is how much your your personal style and who F you is is really showcased. And your style can be so abstract at times and really have that stream of conscious flow. Where does that come from? Um, hold on, let me pay for my Chinese food real quick before I continue on. That was fast. <laughs> that, that, that's good service. Yeah, I know. I like that. Um, yeah, that my flow just comes from the way I write, man. To be honest with you, the way the way I, I put together thoughts and and the way I put together my rhyme is not like I don't focus so much on flow, and I know that's kind of been a, a, a hindrance at least to some people, you know, because you have the fan who who wants to hear a dope flow, right? Then you have the fan who just wants to hear dope lyrics, you know. Then you have the fan that wants both. I was always the fan who wanted dope lyrics over flow. I was always the fan who, who respected a Cool Keith or a LP or MF Doom, regardless of their flow, because let's be honest, those three MCs' flows are not the best. 
but their lyrics are fucking awesome. At least in my opinion. You get what I'm saying? So I was always the the, the fan who uh, cared more about the lyrical content than the flow. So I guess when I started writing, that's what I focused on more. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of where that comes from. Yeah, I could definitely hear like an MF Doom influence with some of the, the abstractions just when you're know, thinking about because I love MF Doom too, man. So so I think that's a compliment. I don't mean that in any in any other kind of way, but like I could definitely hear Oh uh, no I, You know what I, I mean? I take it as a compliment, man. He's he's one of my favorite MCs and a huge influence of mine. And so what is your writing process like? How do you how do your rhymes actually come together? Um basically Something, an idea will pop into my head, um, some kind of bar, maybe a bar, maybe two bars. Usually, usually a bar comes into my head and it's followed by two or three. Right, right after that, I'll write it down. I'll jot it down. I'll keep it in the in the bank. Um, then when something else comes along, I'll put that. I'll put that in there. I'll put the, you know another idea in there. And then when it comes time to write something, I'll weave it all together. I'll figure out how it all works, how it all intertwines, and then I'll put it all together. And that's usually how my songs come about, you know what I mean? They, they come from smaller ideas that I've tailored into one big idea. When you do that, how much revision actually happens between what you what originally comes down the page versus what makes it to the studio and in the final version of the song? Oh, a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> a lot of revisions and going back and fixing and you know, because uh, honestly, I'll write something and it, it will not fit into a bar. It won't fit into into what I'm trying to put together. So I got to take this out, maybe change this word. But then, you know, the second bar, I wanted to rhyme with the first bar. So I got to change this word to that word. You get what I'm saying? Right. It's great to hear, like, you know, about MCs who take the writing craft seriously, because for a long time... You know, once Jay-Z started talking about I don't write my lyrics, I feel like we're in a period for a long time when every artist just stopped writing. And they were, even if they did write, they weren't going to admit it. So anyone listening to that right. artist and respecting that artist was like, well, if that artist doesn't write, I'm not going to write. And we're in this right. long period where like writing rhymes was really taboo, where if you were writing rhymes, you were whack and you did not have like the working memory of like a champion MC. Yeah, no, that I, I don't believe in that. I have much respect for, for people who can do that. Um, you know, one of my closest friends, one of my favorite MCs, Spit Gems is one of those people. Believe mm -hmm. it or not. He'll he'll spit he'll spit right from the top. Like he you know, he'll put it together in his mind and then spit it. I can't do that. I gotta work it out. I have to work it out like a mathematical problem. You know what I'm saying? Basically, when I write down, when I write a verse, that's what it looks like. It looks like a long fucking mathematical problem with a lot of fucking numbers on top and things crossed out and fucking arrows put over here. You know what I mean? But then no one else could have, could ever spit it that way. They could, no one else can take my piece of paper and spit it in a proper way. It'll sound stupid because only I know what the fuck I did. You know, only I knew I know how to get to to. To the end of that mathematical problem that's awesome it's important man. to me man it's, it's, it's important that that i say i say certain things it's important that i have double and triple entendres it's important to me that i could flip you know multi-syllables and things like that because or else it, it, would, it would kind of be boring to me it'd be too plain for me you know what i mean yeah man do you ever have those moments too where you step back and you just say to yourself i can't believe i just wrote that Oh yeah, yeah, a couple of times. I mean, it's great being in the in the collective like uh, with Spit Gems and, and A1 and GS Advance because we do that to each other. You know what I mean? So when we're together and we spit, we, we sit back like, oh shit, that's fucking mind blowing. You know what I mean? And then you go back and now you try to outdo the next man. You know what I mean? You try to outdo that, that man. So yeah, there's been times where I wrote something down and I'm like, I can't wait to spit this for the boys, man. This is fucking dope. You know what I mean? It's definitely been a few times like that. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and you roll with a crew, man, who is super talented in and of its own right. And you definitely interviewed A1 and Spit Gems in the past. I've always been impressed with the music they put out. And, you know, rolling with dudes like that, I mean, that has to keep the sword sharp 
at all times because you come with a whack verse one time there i would imagine that wouldn't be pretty oh yeah that's a saying actually that we that we have you know what i mean once one sword sharpens the other and we have very sharp swords man you can't spit something whack and expect to get by and expect for for anybody to be like oh yeah you know we're gonna let it pass because we're gonna let it pass because it's f you know what i mean like nah this shit gotta be on point or else we're not doing it together you know what i mean you put it out on your own and it's kind of it's kind of been something that's gotten in the way of us putting a, a broken home ep together because not that anything is whack but we constantly try to outdo the other one which is good you know it's friendly competition but we're constantly trying to outdo you know the mc before us that it's like whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute i'm gonna i gotta rewrite this part and then you know and you spit it and then the next man's like whoa okay wait i gotta go back and fix this now I, got, I gotta add this into it you know what i mean it's dope the music that comes out of that is really really dope but it takes a long time also you know what i mean for sure and you look at working with ridiculous as you know one producer through the f word man you know what was that like working with ridiculous and really getting into an album with him i like working with with one producer at a time usually because uh you know you get into one feeling and you know you get into a rhythm and a flow and um it was really easy you know it was really easy but also you know we're two guys who take our craft seriously so it was a lot of back and forth there was a lot of spitballing ideas there was a lot of changes which is something i'm not really used to even though you know i've worked with single producers before i was just used to like yo you make the beat i spit but with this we both kind of took a more serious approach and we both kind of put our hands into each other's crafts if you will you know what i mean so he would make a beat and i'm like yo i love it but listen how about you change this and take this out and put that on? He'd be like, yeah, okay, no doubt. Then I'd spit to him what I wrote. And he'd be like, yo, that's great. But how about, you know, we add this bridge right here. You know what I mean? Or how about we do this with the hook? So it was a little bit different in that way that we actually worked with each other throughout the whole album. But it came really easy. You know what I mean? It came about really easy. Taking it back a little bit too, man. So Rockus, man, that's where you got your start. What was it like, man, being on the Rockus Street team at 18? Oh man, it was sick, man. I gotta tell you, it was crazy. But well, what happened was, um, my uncle was working for Ruckus, and he brought me by the the offices one day. And I'm at headquarters, rest in peace, the headquarters man, who's a great guy, a really great leader. And he had some some amazing kids, man. It was like six of us, and he wanted to make sure that he had the grimiest street team. So the street team who didn't give a fuck who would just do anything, you know? Oh, you want us to climb up there and fucking, you know, put ruckus on top of the building? We will, you know what I mean? Oh, you want us to fight fucking bad boy street team just to get the press? Okay, we did that. You know what I mean? Oh, you want us to smack around Sony street team and steal their fucking posters and throw them in the garbage? Okay, we'll do that. And that's what we did. That's what headquarters put together, you know what I mean? But it was, it was so much fun because like even like broken home is now we had the illest mcs man ruckus at the time as far as ly lyricists ruckus at that time had the illest lyricists you know you had most f you have pharaoh Monch, um you had uh lp you Quali. know crazy yeah you had quali you know we had the best mcs and i remember one of the last one of the last things i did was uh we did uh internal affairs party um tunnel and uh headquarters headquarters i don't know i don't want to i don't want to put too much out there but i'll just say headquarters gave me and the boys some stuff that you weren't allowed to bring into the tunnel <laughs> but since we were underage he gave it to us and then snuck us in through the back so we were in the vip at the tunnel man and like if you think about the vip at the tunnel that's like you know biggie and, and tupac and that's, that's a big fucking deal fuck master flex mob deep and we were back there you know what i mean just 18 years old wilding bugging smoking women girls hip-hop it was amazing man. it was an amazing time in my life and i probably fell in love with wanting to be an artist at that moment at the during those times i didn't pursue it right after that but that's when i fell in love with being an artist and it sounds like headquarters had a lot to do with that too oh yeah yeah no headquarters was huge, a huge part of ruckus 
is a huge part of Rutgers' success, man. You know what I mean? He did more than just head up the street team and, and promotions and all that. You know what I mean? Plus, he was well-respected in the streets and everything. You know what I mean? It was a big deal. And it's funny, too, you mentioned how, you know, hardcore he pushed the Rutgers street team to be because you, know, you think Rutgers records, like, you you know, that, that's not the first image that comes to mind. Like, great MCs, yes. Right, but, right. like, <laughs> messing with other street teams, like, you know, beating up a bad boy street team. Like, you just, that's not the first thought that would come to mind. Nah, definitely. I mean, but you also got to remember, man, the artists, the artists on Ruckus were street dudes too. You know what I mean? I mean, Pharrell Monster was nobody to fuck with. No, I wouldn't. You know, with back him. back back then, even most death was street. You know what I mean? And everybody was pretty much hood. But yeah, that's that's what he 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 wanted to pick the grimiest dudes because there was a lot of kids that came and went that wanted to like work for the street team and you know, or they just wanted free posters and free CDs. You know what I mean? But the people that he chose to actually be on the street team were the guys who were like, yo, there's there's the Sony van. Go in there and steal it. Okay. <laughs> and we would go in there and steal it and fucking park it, illegally park it 10 blocks away. You know what I mean? He didn't want the, the, the kids who weren't going to do that. If you didn't want to do that, then you weren't serious enough to be on, on headquarters street team. And I respect that a lot about him. You know, it might not be the right thing to do, but I definitely respected him for that. Don't, don't just do it seriously. It's passion. If, don't do it for the black on both sides poster. Right, right, right. Do it for the passion. Do it because you're serious. Well, that's an element too, man. That's really missing is the street team. What was it like competing with the other street teams as far as like you know posters go and, and tagging stuff? Because I can remember walking through New York City and just seeing <laughs> posters everywhere, like you know flyers on the ground, like just. You know, anywhere you look, there, there's some kind of artist's album being promoted. You know, what what were those days like actually being on the ground level of that and doing that? I mean, it was really competitive, man, to be honest, because you wanted the best the best spot to post your posters. Do you know what I mean? And, and you wanted because, you know, we would go to events and hand out CDs and samplers on the line. You know what I mean? But then you'd bump into, like I said, the bad boy street team. And that was, that was his rule. Like, no, no, no. You give out all your samplers. I don't give a fuck what they're doing. You got to fight them, take their samplers, do it. You know what I mean? So it, it was, and, you know, they had the same mentality, though. Don't get me wrong. We weren't, you know, it's not like the Bad Boy Street Team and the Sony Street Team and, and you know, the, all the other street teams were, were, were a bunch of suckers. They had the same mentality. You know what I mean? So it was competitive. But we were all young. Everybody was 18 or under. So we were all just kind of knuckleheads. You know what I mean? So it was fun at the same time, but it was very, it was competitive. And then also, you you know, you could get arrested because you weren't supposed to do that. You know, cops would always mess with us. They'd chase us down the block, you know what I mean? They'd fucking take our stuff. So it was competitive, but it was fun. It's part of, you know, kind of part of growing up. You know, some some kids have the, the, the old watering hole, you know what I mean? The lake that they jumped into, you know what I mean? Some kids had fucking whatever games they played. In New York, that's what we did, man. We ran from cops and we fucking stole other street team stuff. We stole vans. <laughs> that was our growing up. Dude, that sounds like an amazing childhood, man, honestly. It was fun, man. I can't front. Uh, you know, I, I have a 14-year-old daughter now. I wouldn't exactly tell her to go and do that, but it was a fun <laughs> experience. And as far as the competition goes, was this the kind of competition where if you're off-duty and someone from the Sony Street team is off-duty and you see each other out in the streets, like... Is, is it all good or do you never really stop being on the street team even if you're not actually working at the time? Yeah, nah, nah. We were never cool with them. Fuck them. We'd actually battle them because, you know, they, everybody was everybody was spitters. Everybody was MCs. So we would battle them, you know what I mean? You'd be walking the fat beats by yourself. You'd catch a couple of them. It wasn't a fun time, you know? You didn't know if you were going to fight or get, catch a dirty look, get spit on. Even if you were off-duty, man, it was still no love <laughs> you know but then again like i said that's the kid you know the, the the teenage mentality you know what i mean and violator always had a reputation for just having a really strong street team and always you know being out there what was the what was dealing with the violator street team like actually to be honest violator was they were kind of like um i don't want to say like cousins to the Rockets Street team, but we were cool with them. You know what I mean? I guess because they had a pretty, a pretty, a pretty bad reputation too. You know what I mean? So the Violator crew, as far as the Rockets crew dealing with them, was cool, but they had a bad rep too. You know what I mean? They would do the same shit we did. 
if anything, if there was top two street teams that was grimy, it was probably us and Violator. Well, well, I don't remember too much the death. I don't remember too much the Death Jam Street team because I think they were older. I think they had older older people on this. But definitely Sony, definitely Bad Boy, definitely us, Violator. We were like 16, 17, 18, young kids. And what were some of the crazier measures you had to take to make sure that the flyers were, you know, got posted or the CDs would get listened to by the fans? Because, you know, even in New York, you know, people are, are hustling from one spot to the next and they're not looking to stop or, you know, grabbing someone's attention is hard. Like, what were some of the more outlandish <clears throat> measures you had to take? No, um- I mean, back then it was a lot easier. You, you didn't really have too many of the of the kids on like Union Square selling their CDs and forcing the tourists to hold the CD. You know what I mean? We were sent to specific hip hop events where people were thirsty for the sampler. The mm-hmm. sampler was important, bro. Having the sample CD or the sample cassette or God forbid the sample vinyl, that shit was important to those kids, man. And if you have it now, like this shit is a gem in your collection. You know what I mean? So where we went... It was pretty easy to get the stuff off. Like, we were damn near celebrities, to be totally honest with you. We showed up to, to an event, a show, and we were outside on the line with the samplers or with posters or with whatever. We would get mobbed, man. It was actually not as bad. But, like, as far as putting up, like, the posters, ours had to be the highest on the lamppost. You know what I'm saying? So it might be three of us standing on top of each other. I don't know if you ever climbed the lamppost in New York. Some, some of them have the pegs on the side. Okay. We'd have to climb the pegs and shit. Just try to climb. Because yours had to be the highest. You know what I mean? Yours had to be over the violator one. You know what I mean? Or else it was like kind of frowned upon. And if we came back and saw that they got higher than us, we'd tear that shit down. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it was, it was like that. And, and the whole time, I mean, it's not like you're worried about another label coming for you guys, right? Because, I mean, this, this, this is the game. So you almost expect it. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a part of the game. You know, it was kind of fun in a way. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you play games as a kid, you, you played catch. You didn't get mad at the kid who caught you. You know what I mean? It was kind of like that, man. You, you knew that's what it was. You knew that's what it was. But we still took it seriously. But we didn't take it, you know, to like a fence or anything. That's just what it was. It was the game. Do you feel like the street team model could survive in today's game, in today's climate, and the way the industry is today? You know, would the street team be successful? Like, is that is that a campaign measure some artists should take? I think that a lot of uh, artists have taken the street team onto themselves, and they've become their own street team. Mm. You get what I mean? A lot of the labels, they're just not putting as much money behind artists, developing artists. That's basically a development strategy because most deaths, quote unquote, just to use an example is not big enough at this time that we have to flood the streets with his posters, with his sample CDs, with his face and his name. And labels now, they're just not putting that much money and time into developing an artist. So they want you to already be that big. We don't need to put posters of Drake when he was first coming up because he's already everywhere. So they've gotten rid of the street team because they're not developing artists the way they used to. So I think underground artists like a Drake, have, they became their own street team. So he became, he made sure he was everywhere. You know what I mean? He made sure all his people were talking about him and that he was everywhere. And I think that's what a lot of the artists are doing now. It's not, it's not a bad thing. I do wish the labels would put a little bit more money into it and do that still. But um, I think the, the artists have just taken it upon themselves to become their own street team. Right. And which is so interesting because you go back to 2000, and you know the the late 90s and there's artists that you know i i would interview you know in the early 2000s like i could never see them hanging up their own posters or updating their <laughs> own soundcloud page you know yeah you, yeah no like even just tweeting to fans would be like a big deal so you know the, the whole mentality of just being an artist has really shifted um you know that's obvious but you know like it's such a drastic shift from what it was Right, yeah, big time. Especially back then, you know what I mean? You, you you wouldn't catch fucking Heavy D putting up his own posters. That was like taboo and shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that was beneath him. And I'm not even talking it in a bad way. Just like back then, that's just what it was because you had the street team. The street team were like interns, you know what I mean? Because we worked for free. We worked for CDs and weed and sometimes to get into clubs for free, you know what I mean? 
we the street team didn't get paid so that was like intern intern work you know what i mean what 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 corporate people would consider intern work that's what we did but now it's not like that there's no more interns the interns are gone so you have to do the dirty work you know so if you want to be successful you do it and anybody who would have been an intern back then today they've got an album dropping or they're doing like they're the old <laughs> artists it's like they're, they're exactly. skipping that phase they're skipping that phase and they just they just want to be they want to be the man on top before anybody else exactly me personally I, I just let the work speak for itself man like I like being everywhere don't get me wrong um I like I would love to go to more shows and, and I would love to put my face in front of more things I definitely do my own tweeting and my own Instagramming and my own everything but I let the work speak for itself you know what I mean I let I let my persona speak for itself and I'm trying to get that to snowball into people like oh shit you know I like FU because he, he's funny or I like the way he gets down or I like the way he dresses I like the way he talks and then they're like oh shit also did you hear his song that shit is fucking incredible you know what I mean I'm trying to work it that way and that's kind of like a model that's been going on now too you know what I mean become not that I'm trying to become Instagram famous but like people are trying to become Instagram famous and then drop their mixtape you get what I mean yep yeah, it's, it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Right, yeah. Right nowadays, that, that's right nowadays you got to kind of do both, man. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to become Instagram famous or nothing like that, but I'm trying to have, you know, my persona be its own thing, my music be its own thing, and then come together. You get what I mean? Right. And going back to the street team too, man, did you ever get props from artists like Mos Def or Faramonch for your work? Oh yeah, man! It was awesome, man. We we would hang out with most, of, you know, with Ruckus. I guess it was a little bit different because it was closer to an independent label than like a Sony or a Bad Boy. I'm not sure exactly. I know I know they they would go to the events. I'm not sure how closely, you know, Mace was hanging out with them and shit. But like, we would hang out like when we went to 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 Pharrell's album release party. We hung out with him and he he fucking loved us. Like yo you, yo you, your niggas is the best. Blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Most deaf, we'd hang out with him, and we all oh, we'd hang out in front of the. I remember when Internal Affairs dropped. Uh, Farrell bought a he bought a brand new green BMW. He pulled up and he was like, "Yo, let's go." He gave us a ride around 42nd and shit. And Most deaf would come through, chill, smoke weed, and they were definitely down to earth dudes, man. They definitely gave us props. That's awesome. And then. You know, we talked about a little, you know, earlier, I guess at the beginning of the interview, but just how, how you've grown as an artist and, and what's facilitated your growth. You know, what do you think looking back in your discography as you hear some of your earlier works like Bodega Businessman and hear that today? And, and what do you think, you know, hearing old FU music? I hate it. <laughs> really? I'm an immediate, I'm an immediate critic. Like everything that I put together at the moment, I love it. And I work it, you know, I put the videos out and I, and I do it at shows and I love it. And then like immediately after I hate it, I'm like, I can do better. You know what I mean? That's why I always for the next one, I always try to do better. You know what I mean? I'm like, no, 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 I could do better than that. And then I, I put another another track out and then immediately the older tracks are like fucking stepchildren. You know what I mean? These are my new kids. These are the kids I'm proud of. This is the, the football star and the fucking ballerina model. And those kids, those are my old kids. They're fucking failures. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But then I'll put the new album out, and it'll shift to the new album. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so a great I, analogy. I always, I, I always critique my stuff like that, man. Like I hate my old shit right after I'm done with it. But people love the old shit, you know. There's people who love the old shit more than they love the new shit. So I don't know. That's just how I feel about it. Yeah, I saw that in one of your older interviews too, where like the writer loved Bodega Businessman so much and it's like how do you deal with that man i mean it's cool that 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 the old music is loved but it's also like wait a minute but I, I, i'm so much better than i used to be like you know i think about like when i was a teacher or i am a teacher but like when i was first starting out teaching like if i watched one of my first lessons on tape i'd be like embarrassed that this is what i was doing <laughs> but you know i still see some of those kids from my first year teaching they still come up to me and like say what's up so it's like it's one of those things where it's like don't you see how much better i've gotten though like do you ever have those moments yeah. where you just want to like tell those fans like, like no just stop like wait a second no i mean you know i i understand that 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 means something to them 
either from when they came out it means something or, or you know that, that that was just their favorite song you know what i mean I, what what frustrates me sometimes is when they're like oh you know i love drogas you know what i mean make another drogas like nah 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 i'm making something else now you you got to find something else to love from the new album you know what i'm saying that's about it but i i understand when people dig the old stuff too i, I do dig the old stuff too but i'm just saying the new stuff's better right and i mean something Mer, <laughs> something Mer said to me um at one one time during an interview that that always stuck with me was sometimes when fans love music it's about what was going on in their life when they heard it the, the song itself is right. kind of like beside the point but like say you just got off a date with like the girl you've been waiting to go out with forever like whatever comes on the radio next is going to be your song because of what just happened in your life um yeah you know do, do you feel like some of that happened with your music too because of you know um you know just just how fit the nature of the game and how fans listen to music oh yeah definitely i mean going back to uh drogas which was on bodega businessman i would say that's probably one one of people's favorite song but then again like that song came out in the summer it's very fun it was like a funny video you know what i mean it, so i could definitely see like people hearing that song during the summer having a good time having a great time you know what i mean and, and remembering that song for that and loving it for that you know what i mean right one of the other things, man, I love about your your music is the song titles you come up with. Like, how do you come up with the title like Peach Marmalade? Oh yeah, I try to I, I try to make my look. First of all, I'm horrible at I'm horrible at hooks, and I'm horrible at titles. As far as like them coming to me right away, they always come to me later. You know what I mean? But I, I always make sure that the title is something different. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, I, I don't want to name I don't want to name the song like Street Tales part two and shit, you know what I mean or fucking I always want it to be something ill something different but that also has to do with the song Peach Marmalade is called Peach Marmalade because that's how that's what I heard when I heard the beat you know what I mean I'm like yeah, that's what this, this beat feels like you know what I mean so I always try to make the I always make sure that by the end whatever title the song finally gets it's something different and it's something ill even if I may name it like number one at the moment that I'm writing it because like I said I'm not good at coming up with titles right away it usually takes me some time I make sure by the end by the time the album's gonna be put together it has a ill name and you look at a song like that man you said exhibiting lyrics that have symptoms associated with syphilis man like I, lo I love the wordplay that you show throughout that song man the funny thing is the funny thing is that like those lyrics the reason that song is, is, is like that you know where it doesn't really have a formula it's not really like 16 and hook and 16 and hook and I stop and I, I talk to the audience it's because like that's how I wrote it you know what I mean and I liked it and I'm like I'm just gonna leave it like this and ridiculous was like you know you know don't you want to put a hook and, and make it like a song that you could perform like nah this is what this song is you know what I mean these lyrics came up I'm gonna spit it and if I fuck up we're gonna keep it you know what I'm saying and, and I'm gonna do it again and we're gonna keep that and whatever I say, we're gonna keep that too. You know what I mean? So that's how that song. That was a fun song to do, man. Yeah, man. I mean, the whole album is an enjoyable listen too. And and the fact that it's that it's not like two hours long makes it something that you know you can listen to multiple times and really let it soak in, as opposed to feeling like you know you're about to read Moby Dick or something. You know, some kind of huge epic. Yeah, personally, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of like twenty song albums. You know what I mean? Or, or, very long albums there's definitely exceptions but i i don't want to say i get bored but like you know i want to listen to something else too after like 10 songs you know what i mean i like to mix it up so i don't want to give the fans you know 16 songs 17 songs and almost like force you to pick your favorite and shit Nah, i want to give you 10 dope shits so they could all be your favorite yeah that, that makes a lot of sense something else i love about you man is that you work with one of my all-time favorites in Born Unique, man. You know, what's it like when you and Born get together? Oh man, Born is a ill dude, man. But I have a lot of respect, a lot of love for Born Unique, man. Um, just when we talk, man, when we when we talk to each other, we text each other, man. It's it's like we we just get each other. You know what I'm saying? He's mad cool, man. He's he's a real down-to-earth dude, and he's really smart too, man. The way he puts shit together, like we did a song for his album. 
called uh, Bloodstained Wallabies. And he was like, yo, F, I need you to just spit that shit, man. Spit that real fucking braggadocious swag shit. So I'm like, okay, no doubt. And then he spit like some real ill shit after it. I'm like, yo, it doesn't even fit, bro. You fucking outdid me. I want to redo it. It's just fun working with him, man. Yeah, he's crazy, man. He, and, and and the energy, the lyrics, man. He's he's just he's another one of those artists, man. That's just always, you know, um, you just never know what he's gonna say next. Yeah, I feel like if Born, Born is in in, in Virginia. I feel like if Bourne was in New York, man, he'd, he'd be part of Broken Homes, man. I really, he would just fit right in. Yeah, completely. That, that'd be a that'd be a natural, easy fit right there. Yeah, I think he'd just fit right in. It's my dude right there. Peace, Bourne. If you listen to this. But yeah, man, you know, F, you know, really appreciate your time. Um, looking forward to the EPs you got coming up, man, and, and really enjoying the F word. So that's going to stay in rotation, man. Um, but you know, really appreciate yeah, your thank time you, here, man. man. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, like I said, I don't I don't have any dates for the EPs yet. Um, the one with with the curse is uh, it's called Picasso. Um, the one with Cole James Cash is untitled, and then my album is called uh, 14 Karat Gold Slum Computer Wizard. That's gonna probably be at the end of this year. <laughs>